started a series last week called Thrive, looking at the life of Daniel in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to the chapter one of Daniel. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can look up Version, which is a free Bible app, click on events, find Element, just type in Element City Church and all of our notes and uh, some of my notes and all the scriptures we'll look at are in there. So you can use your phone here at church too. But let me give you a real quick brief update of kind of where, uh, what's happening in the life of Daniel in Daniel chapter one. And then I just wanna draw out a couple simple takeaways for us tonight as we wrap up chapter one. Next week, we're gonna start into chapter two and I just encourage you this week going ahead, why don't you go ahead and read chapter two as we get ready for next Sunday because it'll give you a little more context. There's no way I can read everything for next week. And so there you go. So we've got this siege that happens in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar brings armies back Babylon is invading. They've kind of kicked Egypt's butt, taken them way down south. Now Jerusalem's kind of smack dab in the middle, and they take over uh, after they've sieged this town, and they take 10,000 of the best of the best, the brightest, the smartest, the teenagers, kind of, how many teenagers? Yes, you're the best. Okay, so they took them, right? And they said, hey, we're gonna leave the poor, and they left that, they ransacked the whole city, they took a bunch of the treasure from the temple, because that's what you do when you're Nebuchadnezzar. When you conquer someone else, you take all their toys, so that you can say, look, your God didn't defend you, our gods are better than yours, ninner, ninner. And you take them back to Babylon, and then you set them up in your temple, and that's where it is. And that's what seems, and remember the question that the Jewish people were asking is, where's God? Because this shouldn't happen. What should, should, this shouldn't be. And 10,000 refugees taken off. And when you rule from 500 miles away, you rule by intimidation. And if you want to read about Nebuchadnezzar, this guy is crazy. And he does crazy things. And so people don't mess with him. And so from 500 miles away, this is where we find out of the 10,000, the story kind of zeroes in on four. And it's Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the names they're given. They're taking their very name away. They're given new names to say, okay, we're gonna re-educate you, we're gonna relocate you, and you're gonna live under a new rule now. And for, ba uh, for Babylon, that was this whole mysticism and astrology backdrop and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. And this is what Daniel is forced to know at age 14 and they enter into Babylon U, Babylon University, and they've got three years to get these guys trained and educated so they can go into the king's service. That's the goal. And in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, this is the key verse of chapter one, where Daniel says he resolved in his heart not to disobey God. I'm not gonna disobey God in order to obey man. And this is the little food test we looked at last week, that in the lunchroom, he pushes back and those four say, look, we're not gonna eat from the king's table because we know these offerings have been offered to idols and we're not gonna defile ourselves. So would you just give us like vegetables and water? These are teenagers that are saying this. This is crazy, right? So would you just give us vegetables? Would you just give us water for these three years and just test us for these 10 days? And it works out and God's on their side. He's kind of working behind the scenes and he gives favor to them. And Daniel had determined, I'm gonna live out my faith even in the midst of the pressure of the culture around me to choose otherwise. I'm gonna live with compassion and I'm gonna live by conviction. And this is what we began to see is Daniel was a person of godly convictions and graceful interactions. Friends, I'm convinced our world needs you, needs me to be a person like Daniel. A person who lives by godly convictions, 
but lives it out in a way that's graceful interaction with the people. Daniel did not become a jerk, okay? He didn't like kind of go off on the people around him and rant and rave about how bad culture and government and all these rules and all this structure and everything is. Listen, let me be really frank, okay? I'm Jack, but let me be frank. <laughs> mean Christians are not moving people toward Jesus. If you evaluate yourself and how you interact with the people around you, if you're not helping move people toward Jesus, then you have become a repellent, not an attractant. And the gospel is an attractant to people because people are living in a world, much like back in Babylon, much like our world today, where they're longing for something different. And that means you gotta be a person of conviction. And that means that you've gotta be a person who has these graceful interactions with people. Daniel didn't lash out in anger, but nor did he withdraw. Nor did he shrink back in fear and say, okay, I'm just gonna go into hiding and become like this, this hermit with his faith and to never interact with culture and never kind of have any kind of interchange or never have any kind of contribution or, or cooperation or input into what was going on around him. He found a way to live out his faith where his godly convictions became like this compass that began to help him as he navigated the scenarios and the times and the land in which he lived. And I'm convinced we need more Christians like that. Now you may be here and maybe someone brought you here because they said, hey, there's food trucks and your two favorite words are food trucks. And so like, that's awesome that you're here. And maybe you're like, hey, I'm not really a Christian. Like I'll come because I'm interested in spiritual things and that's great. I hope that this could be a church where you can belong before you can believe. That we're not trying to be a church where you have to be convinced to be part of our church family that you can investigate, you can get curious about Jesus, and that's what we would say is, get curious about him, because we did. And it began to change who we were, began to change how we saw the world. His godly convictions began to become this compass that guided him all along the way. That he was cooperative, but he wasn't compromising. You gotta understand, Daniel's surrounded by people who are so vastly different than him. And yet, he wasn't a jerk, and he didn't hold it over people. He was cooperative in the way, and he worked hard. We'll see at the end of chapter one this, this high praise that comes from Nebuchadnezzar, the crazy dude, for these four, after this three years worth of training because of something they did. What Daniel and his friends began to also see is that the people around them, the people in front of them, they may have been a, an issue, may have caused struggles, but they were not the primary enemy. And I think one of the things we begin to see in our culture today is when we begin to make the people around us the primary enemy, we are drifting toward becoming mean. And we're drifting toward treating people vastly different than what Jesus modeled and what Jesus calls us to. There is one enemy that the scriptures speak about. In fact, Paul writes about it in Ephesians. He says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is at work in our world, whether you want to believe it or not, 
to steal, rob, and kill people's future. And if you've been around the block enough, you've seen it happen with people that you will deeply love, who have gotten sideways and stuck in life, choices they made, sometimes choices they didn't make. And it's just the ramifications of living in a broken and fallen world. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life, and that you may have life to the full. And Daniel began to lean in with his, his squad, we'll call it his squad, right? And they began to say, you know, the people around us, yeah, it's problematic, and it's not the way we would have drawn it up, but they're not the primary enemy. And so we'll be cooperative, but we're not gonna compromise. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be invested here, but first and foremost, the kingdom of God is what we stand for. Mean Christians don't move anyone toward Jesus. We are called to love God, to love people, and leverage his love in this world. Love does not mean we compromise, but it most certainly means we practice compassion. And I look around the world, and I'm sure you do too, where it seems like that compassion is not high on the radar. We're very quick to label. We're very quick to put people in camps. And the truth is, Jesus didn't do that. He reached out to people. More often than not, serving people in the midst of disagreement earns you leverage because you're serving people, because people have value. And that's what Daniel began to live out. This is not a time for us to shrink back in fear or strike out in anger. This is a time for us as followers of Jesus to lead in love, period. That's what you begin to see in the life of Daniel, this interaction that he just trusted that God was sovereign over everything. Even when things looked like they were off the rails, God, I'm just trusting that you actually have sovereignty over nations and over rulers and over circumstances. And whew, that's good to rest there because I don't feel that way at times. And I don't know if you struggle with that. But that's where Daniel got is, God, we recognize that you're the creator of the heavens and the earth, therefore you have say and you have ultimate sway. You're in charge. And all these other things that we fight for and fight against, and well, they may not be this, this truth that's really going on. Maybe you're at work behind the scenes. And that's what Daniel began to understand, began to see. See, God's looking for people in our culture today that will stand up every single day and will say, I have a vision to live on mission for God and for his best in this world. And when it comes to engaging culture, this is not about isolating away from culture. This is not about imitating the way of culture. This is about modeling Jesus to our culture. That's the call for us as Christ followers today. And if you call yourself a Christ follower, then this is the mandate that the scriptures put out before us to say join in this. This isn't about imitating, this isn't about isolating away, this is about modeling to a watching world that desperately needs the hope and grace of Jesus. To live that out in the interactions and reactions that we have in the world around us. Jesus alone is the hope that our world needs. It's not gonna be found anywhere else. There may be glimpses of happiness, there may be glimpses of joy, but ultimate hope is found in only Jesus.
So this isn't about isolating. That's not the answer. Imitating is not the answer. Modeling Jesus to our culture is the answer. See, the God news and the good news is simply this. No matter what your background, what your orientation, what uh, your history, what uh, things have happened in your past, God loves you. Yes, you. And he sent his son on a search and rescue mission for you. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, actually knows your name. And he wants to be connected again in relationship with you. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus lived this perfect life that those of us who would come to a place to say, I surrender the leadership of my life to who Jesus is, to what he says, to what he did, to how he lived, to how he died, most importantly, to how he was risen again, to prove that God's love wins. And as we give our life to that, then we get to have life with God. Friends, that's the biblical gospel, as simple as I can put it. That as a follower of Jesus, that's what you're saying yes to. That's what 10 people in just a few minutes are saying yes to as they go forward in public baptism. Baptism is simply, a, it's a picture. It, it's my, my wedding ring. Okay, if I take this off, it's not I'm unmarried. I'm still married. I made a decision. That's what, I, that's what we did. Baptism is just that. It's an outward symbol of a decision that you've made to say, I'm, gonna, I'm done trusting my own life and my own ways. I'm gonna trust in what Jesus did, that he did for me what I can never do for myself that he made a way for me to have life with God, the forgiveness of my sins, the healing of my brokenness, and the empowering of me to live life the way I was designed and I'm called to live with Jesus. And I'm linking up with him. That's the truth. And when people go forward in baptism, that's what they're saying yes to. And maybe you sit here and you're like, I've never done that. Then why not? Have you ever come to a place where you said, I'm just tired of living life my own way, on my own agenda and my own merit? Have you ever come to a place where you've said, I know, I recognize I need a savior. I need a rescuer. That's what Jesus is portrayed as in the scripture, is the savior of mankind. And for each man and woman who would say yes to him. And so if you've never said yes to him, then why not tonight? Or at least why not tonight take your first step to say, I'm gonna investigate who this guy really is. Is he more than just what I've heard about, more than just what I've read about, more than just the people who have cursed his name? Is he more than that? Then go on a journey and investigate that. He is worth your pursuit because he's pursuing a relationship with you. And what we see in the life of Daniel is that he lived with this conviction that a life of trusting God and following God was far better than anything Babylon could offer, anything that the world could offer him. And this is what we said last week, kind of the theme for the whole series. God's not looking for influential people who he can make faithful. God's looking for faithful people so he can leverage their influence. Here's how chapter one ends. At the end of the time set by the king to bring him into the service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found no one equal to Daniel, to Hananiah, to Mishael, to, uh, to Azariah. These are their Hebrew names. 
not the names that they were given. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about the, what the king questioned them, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters of the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. See, the story begins to heat up from here, but what you see in chapter one is Daniel resolves in his heart, God, you're the ultimate leader of my life, and and I'll cooperate the best I can in the culture in which I'm in, but I'm not gonna disobey you in order to obey man. I'm gonna live with godly convictions, but I'm gonna be a person of graceful interaction, and I'm gonna take this stand. What Daniel lived with is this inner fortified faith And that's an important thing in a culture like Babylon and in a culture like ours, this inner fortification. What's interesting is if you've ever studied like deep sea diving, uh, there's a thing called the bathosphere. It was kind of invented back in the 30s and in late 20s, early 30s type thing. And the the bathosphere was this kind of dome structure that could withstand the pressure of deep sea dives better than submarines. In fact, it could go down all the way to some of the deepest ocean floors. Very cramped, it had several inches of, of thick steel that kind of helped push back the pressure of the ocean, that the deeper you got, the more pressure that was pushing in on you. So you needed something thick, kind of like this thick skin to keep that water pressure out. But it's very cramped inside. And what they found as the divers got down there, 3,000 plus feet deep, is they turned on the lights and here's what they saw. Fish kind of baffled them for a little bit because you're like, how are these little tiny fish withstanding the water pressure at this depth? How can that be? And as science is going on, they begin to study and understand that the fortification, kind of the internal pressure within these fish was enough to equal and hold out the external pressure that was pushed against them. They didn't need a thick skin They had it inner within them that was pushing back out the stuff that was trying to crush them from the outside. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the reality of the life we're called to live in Christ? It's Christ in you, Paul says. The hope of glory. And as Christ is in you, then you have been inner fortified to stand up against the pressures that are coming against you whether that's by your own choosing or whether that's someone else choosing or just the pressure of trying to live out faith in a culture that's chaotic like ours. And here's my prayer for you this week as we move into a time of taking communion and then I'll close this with a prayer and give us final dismissal outside. Is I wanna create some space for you to, to pray, to think, contemplate. How this week, how have you seen, maybe over the last few months, God kind of building up this inner strength, empowering you from within, the inside out, to change some of the characteristics that you know are are just troubling patterns for you. They kind of detour you, they just sideline you. Maybe there's things that have been part of your history that you just want to say no to, and, and maybe this next few moments is just God as you, as you take that bread, as you take that cup and commit again, God, would you help me live with this inner fortified faith that from the inside out, I'm choosing your best 
doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means I'm trying the best with the power you've given me to aim for your best, to be a person that does, uh, that promotes your good and your love and your grace into this world. Maybe take a moment and just ask that this week God would refresh you to, to live with this inner fortified faith like Daniel. So let me pray for you and then we're gonna have a space for communion. We got tables down front and here in the middle that you're welcome to go to. We'll take a few minutes to do that. And then I'm just gonna close this in a word of prayer tonight. Uh, so let me pray for us as we move into communion and then I'll close this in a few. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to be more and more like Daniel. A young man who was thrust into chaos, this culture that was so counter to what runs with you and lines with you. And yet he lived with this inner fortified faith that leveraged his life to be an influence to his land and to the people he was around. And we pray that we would have that. As we remember your son and his death and his life and his resurrection, that you promise that you'll never leave nor forsake us, that you are the one who empowers us, Jesus. So as we hold that bread, as we drink that juice tonight, we remember the forgiveness of our sins, the healing of our heart, and now the empowering of our life to leverage it for you. We give our lives to you. So would you stir us to pray and to contemplate and to think in these next two minutes as we engage in this exercise together.